0: The following is an excerpt from a short story by the Brothers Grimm. I also have to give credit to the idea to use this excerpt in this part of the sermon from Joy Davidman's book, uh, Smoke on the Mountain, which is about the Ten Commandments. So anyway, now I am not in copyright infringement, nor have I stolen intellectual property, but this is a great excerpt. There was once a very old man whose eyes had become dim, his ears dull of hearing, "'His knees trembled, and when he sat at the table, "'he could hardly hold the spoon "'and spilt the broth upon the tablecloth "'or let it dribble out of his mouth. "'His son and his son's wife were disgusted at this, "'so the old grandfather at last "'had to sit in the corner behind the stove, "'and they gave him his food in an earthenware bowl "'and not even enough of it. "'And he used to look toward the table "'with eyes full of tears.' Once, too, his trembling hands could not hold the bowl, and it fell to the ground and broke. The young wife scolded, but he said nothing and only sighed. Then they brought him a wooden bowl, bought for a few halfpence, out of which he had to eat. They were once sitting thus when the little grandson of four years old began to gather some bits of wood from the ground. What are you doing there? asked his father. I'm making a little trough answered the child for father and mother to eat when I get big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while and presently began to cry. They then took the old grandfather to the table and henceforth always let him eat with them and likewise said nothing when he when he spilt his soup. Exodus 2012. Honor your father and mother that the days you have may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. What does this mean? Why did God give this command? How does this command point to the good news of Jesus? These are the questions we're going to cover and address. I think we need to begin with who is this commandment addressed to. Oftentimes, as parents, we're big fans of seeing this commandment to our little children as a way of coercing obedience. Honor your father and mother. It's the Bible says so. And few of us would doubt that certainly there are children in the congregation when Moses read these Ten Commandments to the Israelites. But the main audience of this commandment were the adult children of the congregation who stood in the gap between their elderly parents and their own children. It's with this in mind that we're going to attempt to uh, explore this commandment. Would you pray with me? Lord, all of us are products of our parents, for good or for ill, with memories of joy or memories of sorrow. I know that this very commandment for some will bring up difficult things and for others it will convict. Lord, help us not to be afraid of what you have to say. Not to be overwhelmed by our own sorrow, not to be overwhelmed by our own guilt. But in the power of your spirit, would you open our minds and your hearts to your heart Would you show us why this commandment was given, what it means, and how we can live into it? Show us, Lord, how it's good news. Amen. Honor your father and your mother. You've probably noticed by now that the Ten Commandments are very ambiguous. In fact, the Ten Commandments, I think, are intentionally ambiguous, The Ten Commandments are not designed to be case law. They aren't intended to describe every single situation that you could ever encounter as a human being. They aren't even designed to answer the what-ifs of life or the whatabouts of every situation that could occur. The Ten Commandments, then, are primarily a gift to us. They're an expression of God's heart. They are His ethic for human life, they are part of God's self-revelation to you and to me and to his people. The Ten Commandments invite us then to be creative and thoughtful. They invite us to mature and to ask not what we can get away with, but how we can best embody the ethic of God. So yesterday, we, uh, as a group of men, talked about encountering our limitations as human beings, and it was kind of providential how that topic was stewing in Ian's heart as he prepared uh, over this uh, men's retreat. Patrick McAvoy shared some things about Sabbath that he has, has been learning over the past year. That wasn't planned. It was kind of... And then I preached on Sabbath last Sunday. So it all just comes together. we had some great conversations about what does it actually look like for an entrepreneur or a teacher or someone retired to to live into Sabbath, all of us in our different stages of life. That's what the commandments ask us to do. They present the ethic of God's heart. They say, here's what's behind it. By the way, I made you, so I know you're pretty smart people. And I put you in community so you could bounce things off of each other. Be creative, be thoughtful. What does it mean to live out the ethic of the Ten Commandments? So we got to do a little bit, about, uh, a little bit uh, of that about Sabbath yesterday. So the fifth commandment that we're dealing with now doesn't tell us exactly how one honors their father and mother in every situation, but it does get us started on a trajectory. So we better talk about what it means to honor someone. The Hebrew word for honor in this sentence is kabad, which means literally weighty, or to add weight, or to give weight. Uh, In fact, the mantle that a king used to wear was intentionally heavy with lead and stones. It was a reminder that the king wore an honor or a weight about him. Uh, It was a reminder that your position, though given by God, is important, that you wear the weight of, uh, of of your title. It means weighty. Uh, As such, honor includes obedience, but it's more than just obedience. It has this connotative range of meaning, uh, show respect, to glorify, to exalt, to prize highly, to show affection. To honor someone then is to treat them as though they were weighty, as though they were important, as though they are worthy of respect. That's what that means. It could mean to give weight to their needs, like, do I consider my father and mother and the needs that they have? Do I give weight to their situation? It could be to weigh their advice without immediately discounting it as, you know, especially if you have adolescents that we're prone to do that, or actually any stage we think we know pretty well, don't we? Uh, Oh, that my parents are so last generation, and uh, uh, we're, we're sometimes quick to discount the things that they have to say. So it might mean to add weight to what it is that they're saying. It also means, if, as followers of God, to weigh what they're saying against Scripture is what they're saying actually worthy of honor. That's another thing uh, that the that, that sentence can, can mean. As people of God, granting honor means weighing what they say and treating them with honor, weight. There's another detail in this command that's unique. Most other ancient cultures in the ancient Near East, took it for granted that fathers were to be respected and honored. In fact, in Bedouin societies, these are like the nomadic people that uh, I think like the sand people from Star Wars or are... come on, I, I always thought they were kind of taken from Bedouin societies, but whatever. Uh, in Bedouin societies, fathers had unlimited rights over their children and over their homes. To dishonor a father in those cultures was to potentially be worthy of the death penalty. But only God gives the command to honor fathers and mothers. Only God brings women up to the honorable position uh, that human societies up until that point had only set aside for men. Only God does that, only in these Ten Commandments. That is amazing. Amazing. So we're beginning to get a sense of what this commandment is. The next question is, why does God give this? I I always want to ask that question when we're going through the Ten Commandments. It's this top ten list. Why does this one make the top ten? Part of the answer to that question, why does God give it, is answered by its position in the commandment. So let's just do a little recap. The first and primary commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. God knows that our life is found in him. He knows that if we pursue false gods, it will lead to our death and destruction. God isn't like so petty that he's worried about competition. He's worried about you. And if you go down a path where you're worshiping other gods, things that you think will give you life that God knows won't give you life, you will die. And so he wants us to have life. He points us to himself. That's the first commandment the second commandment the prohibition against idols and idolatry reinforces the first commandment and it reinforces it at our most vulnerable point because you and i uh, we are prone to take the good gifts of god and to turn them into little gods themselves from food to sex work to recreation anything in any concept can become an idol to us so god warns us to resist that urge and to look for life in him, not outside of him. The third commandment, of course, you shall not misuse or take the name of the Lord uh, your God in vain. That speaks of the temptation that we sometimes have to, to take our relationship with the God of the universe and turn it into a commodity. You know, in those cultures, people used to curse other people in God's name. Not many of us do that. Sometimes we use a slang word, I guess. Um, But another thing that we might be more guilty of is taking our relationship with God's name and our uh, association with it and stamping our previously thought of agendas and our perspectives in life and saying God is or this candidate is God's candidate or uh, I am uh, rolling out this policy and God is behind this. We need to be very careful of how we put God's name onto our agendas. And I would say, that's never a great idea, right? Like, if it's not found directly in Scripture, we should probably not say, God is definitely for this. God is definitely for my team, or my movement, or whatever it is okay? Uh, Conversely, in our culture, where we are are surrounded with kind of a more secular worldview, uh, where we have a lot of nuns today, not nuns, N-U-Ns, but nuns, like people unaffiliated religiously, where people don't often turn to the supernatural, taking the Lord's name and not misusing it means also using it. It means, like, He's given you this great gift. You get to talk to the God of the universe. You know the name of Jesus. Like, pray to Him, This is a a great great asset that we have. So this is uh, that third commandment. And the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy is a reinforcement of the first three commandments. By observing Sabbath, we are saying, hey, I'm not God. I'm not limitless. I, uh, I am made to work, but I'm also made to rest. And Sabbath rhythms rest us. And they also turn our attention towards worship uh, God. They, so, see how that works? We rest, and then we focus our attention on number one, the guy, the God, who gives us life. It all points back to that first commandment. So, why did God give us the fifth commandment? For at least three reasons. These are real. Like I didn't just make up the three. Um, first, when we honor our parents, we are forced to confront the fact that we come from someone else. Y'all go like this. I don't care if it's right or left finger. And find your belly button. Okay, just find it. Come on, I know it's silly. Find your belly button. You can let go if you want. Harwas and Willimon co-wrote this book, and they write, Nothing is quite as ontologically revealing as our belly button. By noting that we are creatures, creations of mothers and fathers, the fourth commandment tells us that the life that we have is a gift. We are begotten, not manufactured. Someone even changed our diapers, our first hint of what grace must be like. Isn't that great? If you honor your parents, you will treat them as weighty, as people to be considered. And their very consideration will remind you that you were humbly created, that you are not superior to your biology, You are not a god or a goddess, okay? Honoring our parents is a reminder of our humanity, not as something to be ashamed of, but as a dose of reality and thankfulness. Like, yeah, I'm created. I came out of people that God created, and and that's okay. I have limits, because I look at the people I came out of, and they're great, but they have limits, and my kids are going to look at me, and like, oh, that explains a lot why I'm screwed up in life. So you see see what that does? It's a humbling effect. The second reason I think that God gave us this commandment is because honoring our father and mother, um, or the commandment to honor our father and mother, is because our family systems, and uh, for those of us without much family, the church as a family is a laboratory for discipleship it's a laboratory for discipleship. By learning to trust and honor, by learning to trust and obey our parents, we're learning to trust and honor and obey those in authority over us. In a sense, we learn to trust and obey God through trusting and obeying our parents. We learn to trust and obey the God we can't see by learning to trust and obey the people we can see. It's practice. We are practicing discipleship by honoring our parents. It's in the family we first learn to compromise, although my kids don't do a lot of that, but anyway, they will learn to compromise, I hope so. Uh, It's in the family where we learn to serve and to deal with conflict, uh, to make mistakes, and to find reconciliation, as young children, we begin in a state of dependence and then we grow in making increasing levels of, of decisions and, and taking on increasing levels of responsibility from cleaning up our own room to actually like real chores that matter in the house to, uh, to maturity. And as we mature into adulthood, there's this tipping point somewhere in life where it can become, we, we can become the caretakers then of aging parents if, if we're fortunate enough to have them Uh, with us into old age. What does it look like to honor father and mother as they move from provider to dependent? When the Israelites received this command, they were an intergenerational multitude of people wandering in the desert. They faced dangers from elements, from lack of food, from lack of water, and they had enemies that they would encounter throughout the way. It would have been easy to see the elderly among them as expendable, as dead weight. Notice the promise attached to this commandment. If you honor your father and mother, your days will be extended in the land. Just a quick word about that promise, what it means to clarify any confusion. The promise is in the plural. So when it says, so that your days will be prolonged in the land. It's not talking to like, Schoon. if you honor your parents, your days personally will be extended in the land it's talking about to the nation of israel if you act with this ethic in general towards your elders to your parents to your fathers and mothers you as a nation will be prolonged in the land Honoring fathers and mothers is a command from God in the Ten Commandments. And as such, remember how we talked about the Ten Commandments are part of the covenant that God makes with His people. And if they keep the covenant, they'll possess the land for for long times into into shalom and glory. If they break the covenant, they'll lose the promised land, which is exactly what happened first to uh, the northern tribe of Israel and second to the southern tribe of Judah when they went away into captivity. The promise is not... Be more efficient and ruthless that your days may be prolonged in the land. It's honor your father and mother and let God provide for you in the land. God knew that taking care of the weak would benefit the strong. It would build their character. It would make them a more compassionate people. It would form them through practice into his image. When we do hard things for the Lord, it forms our character. If you just are always cutting dead weight, making things simple on yourself, you can have the illusion of peace, but anyone can be at peace when there's not stress around. Yeah. Far too many of our elderly fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers are sent away and neglected. And this is complicated in our day and age where people are living longer and healthcare costs are getting more expensive and people are having issues like They just didn't live that long back then. And so these are complicated issues. And uh, for some of us, uh, the care that our our parents or our grandparents need is beyond our capability. And so, uh, you know, an assisted living or something like that is appropriate. Uh, But also regular visitation. Ask Julie Donath, who works in one of these places. People get lonely. And uh, it just makes me think, too, like if you've ever wanted to volunteer and uh, go sing to somebody or play a game with them, if you like that kind of thing, talk to Julie because she will hook you up. Honoring parents is a lifetime of exercising the discipleship muscle of service. Someone wrote, if you can love, honor, and serve your parents, you can serve anyone. No one gets under your skin like family. If you can honor your closest relatives, you can put up with almost anybody. There's a flip side to that as well. Parents who were in the congregation with Moses read this commandment, And parents among us today, isn't this a call for us to be honorable? Isn't that implicit in this command? If God gave us the command because the home is a laboratory for discipleship, then parents, what does your behavior, what does your life say about God to your kids? Are we reflecting Him well to our children are we gracious and humble? And parents, since we are not God, do we practice the humility to say the nine nine of the most important words a parent can say? Here they are. Husbands, this works pretty well too. I was wrong. I am sorry. I love you. A child to hear mom and dad who they look up to say I was wrong and I'm sorry and I love you that goes so far because we simply cannot be God for them we know that that reflection of God will be imperfect but can we humble ourselves to at least admit those mistakes um, even that is a teaching moment for our kids the fifth commandment gives us a not so subtle reminder that people are watching us. So we've heard a bit about what honoring parents means, and we've heard some reasons that God gave us this commandment. We've covered the fifth commandment, but there's places the fifth commandment doesn't go that I want to go. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've got a bunch of, yeah, but what if, or yeah, but what about? Yeah, but what if your parents tell you to do something that's against God's will? What does honoring them look like? Jesus addresses this in the gospel, by the way, in several places. One fun story is in Mark chapter 3. He's teaching in this house. Um, he's been saying crazy stuff, like the kingdom of God is, is come, is at hand. Uh, he's been healing people. And so his mom and his brothers think, you know, our son is embarrassing us. Let's kind of go over to this place. And, and, uh, and, and so someone interrupts Jesus' teaching, and they say, uh, uh, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here to take custody of you. That's what it says, the Greek is to apprehend him, to to take him home, to kind of like give him a talking to. Like, you're kind of, are you okay? Are you mad? And Jesus takes this moment. He does not disrespect his mom. He does not like show them up in public, although she, like any good mom, probably would have been offended or hurt because he takes this moment to, to, to define who his family is. And so, hey, Jesus... Your mother and your brothers are here to take custody of you. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Let me tell you. Those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers and my sister. Jesus shows another way. Besides dishonoring his family, and just going along with the status quo, like a good son. He says it's more important to honor God. Put God first and honor your parents at every opportunity when those things come into conflict. Here's another elephant in the room. It's never fun to talk about. Abuse. If your parents hurt you, neglected you, or someone in your family, someone you love, maybe you can't even conceive in your mind or your heart what honoring them looks like right now. And maybe I want to say to you, maybe it's okay for you just to figure out what healthy and appropriate boundaries are right now. Because maybe for you and your situation with your parents, maybe it's not a safe place to go to even be in conversation with them right now being part of your parents' life on a personal level may not be realistic. Hear that. Hear that. Healing takes time. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. That being said, and that's an important thing to say, it strikes me as healthy for us not just to gloss over pain, but to try and see the positive. If we can see the positive, It strikes me as healthy to try and see it. Uh, And I've spoken about this before, but one of those interesting pastoral pieces for me is doing a funeral. I love to do me a funeral where, you know, this person who has been a saint, a great life in Christ, those are celebrations, but I've done uh, a few funerals where the person in the coffin has hurt, and I can see, and I know the hurts, and I know the people that have hurt, and the last thing I want to do as a pastor is be untrue. My job is to speak truth. So one of the things I'll do, and it surprises people sometimes, and I'll only do this if everybody knows what this person's done, is I'll say, hey, we all know that so-and-so has done some hard things, has hurt people in this room or in this place. Okay. It's important to say the truth. But through conversations, and when I get permission from people, we also try and point out what were, what were some of the bright spots? What, what are some things that we can talk about? I don't believe any person is 100% evil. And so what are some of the things that we can be thankful for and talk about and, and name out loud the atmosphere? Eulogy means thankful speech. What can you appreciate even about the worst parents, the hardest parents? What parts of their lives can you honor? That may be something to consider. Some of you had parents who have died and you haven't had a chance to reconcile with them. Maybe you have deep regrets. Maybe you have anger. Maybe you have deep pain and a hole in your heart, a missing piece of your life. What would it look like to to write a letter, all the things you wanted to say to them, and offer it before God. Let, maybe it's just between you and God. Maybe you burn it up. Maybe you mail it to yourself. Maybe you bury it. Maybe you let someone you really trust read it out loud in your presence. Whether we've had abusive parents or absent parents or deceased parents or even the greatest parents, we are all aware that we've had imperfect parents. Maybe God, in fact, I would venture to say he has, but think about it. Maybe God in his grace has given you surrogate parents along the way. Men or women who have acted as spiritual parents, foster parents, mentors, encouragers, what would it look like to honor them? As you're thinking about your own parents and finding yourself unable, finding the pain too deep, who has God given you then as helpers along the way. When's the last time that you thought to reach out and to remind yourself or to remind them of the the thing that they did for you, or that thing that they said for you that maybe they didn't know was such a big deal? What would it look like to honor them? I brought up some extreme examples because I thought it'd be malpractice just not to talk about those hard things, right? Right? We've brought up extreme examples of abuse and loss and neglect. Those are real things that I know a lot of us have struggled with. But what about parents who aren't bad people? They just aren't maybe worthy of respect in the sense of their life choices. You can find lots of good qualities about these parents, maybe, but they're not followers of Jesus. They don't make honorable choices with their money or their time. Maybe in your eyes they've been irresponsible with their life choices or with their financial situation and now they're in need and now what Uh, how do we honor them in the sense of give them weighty honorable biblical respect let me say two things as clearly as i can first this commandment of the ten commandments is intended for parents who are followers of god The Ten Commandments, all ten of them, are not intended for anyone outside of the family of God. It's just the way to... You can't expect someone who doesn't follow God to follow the Ten Commandments. Why would they? How can they do that without the help of God? I mean, that's impossible. That's something the Bible, God Himself, wouldn't even talk about. I mean, a lot of times we think, oh, the world would be a better place if people followed the Ten Commandments. And we try and push the Ten Commandments on people who have no relationship with God. Yeah, I mean, it'd be... Maybe better if they did the things, but people that don't like, follow God have bigger problems than whether or not they follow the Ten Commandments. Okay? So these are not for people who don't follow God. Second, if, you are, or if your parents are not followers of Jesus, but you are, there's lots of other commandments that make it your prerogative to care for them okay? So you may not give them honor, the so let's, let's just make an example. Uh, you came to faith later on in life. You didn't grow up in a home where your parents go to church, and um, they're fine people, but you know, they're like way in debt. They overspend all the time, and uh, they self-medicate all the time, and there's all this family drama all the time, and it's like, ah, I want them to have a new life. I also want to honor them. It, here's what this means. You cannot honor them in the sense of I just so respect your life and you really point me to Jesus. That's, that's the honor of the Ten Commandments. We can't put that honor artificially on someone else. So what can we do? You can give them worth in the sense of wherever you can find good, you can praise them for it, you can be thankful for it, you can seek reconciliation. Reconciliation. It means serving without strings attached. It means seeking to understand, seeking to be compassionate. And how all of this plays out is case by case. It's complex. You know this. No one situation is the same. I've had many a conversation with many of you about the nuances of how we interact with, with family members. And we're going to have lots more conversations. And we need to have them in groups. And, and, and as they come up and seek wise counsel. We need Jesus' help to do the most loving thing that honors him and is truthful to our family, right? Maybe the most difficult thing is to honor our parents who are believers and are at the same time, like, sinful and flawed. Honoring parents who are difficult to deal with, who sometimes reflect our own flaws, <laughs> that's why they're so hard to deal with, because, oh my gosh, I'm just like that, uh, only magnified in them, Um, how we need Jesus to give us patience, how we need Jesus to humble us and to remind us how difficult we can be, and if you're a parent with parents, how we need Jesus to help us when we feel like we're failing at both ends of the spectrum, not a good son, not a good dad, I'm failing, Lord Jesus, help and it's here in the beginning of working out this commandment in real life that we see where this commandment is pointing. It's pointing to the punch in the gut reality that we are, a sin, we are sinful and that no matter how hard we try, we often fail and we often fail horribly at honoring and being honorable And it seems to me that since all parents are flawed, there is a disconnect here, that we hear this command to to, to honor in terms of obedience, but it's met with skepticism. Why? Because we've never encountered someone who is fully worthy of our obedience. We always hold back, and maybe I should say rightfully so, because we've been hurt enough times, because we know our own heart. There's a longing inside of us when we really dig into this commandment, and the longing is for, I think, healing and reconciliation that seems almost impossible, seems unrealistic. And that's where this commandment points to Jesus. By becoming a human being, this is, this is where theology is important, by the way, by becoming a human being and a human son, Jesus is able to take not only all of humanity on himself, but all children of humanity on himself. He's not only obedient to the Father on the good days, like when He's doing miracles and walking on water and healing people. He's able to obey even into death on a cross. How could He honor His Father like that? Because He knew deep in His heart how good and trustworthy His Father is. He knew that despite the way things felt and appeared, And they felt and appeared horrible when you're in a garden on your knees and your capillaries are bursting blood because you're so stressed about what's to come. Don't think that Jesus did not suffer. He knew, even in that moment, that whatever God had for him in the long run was going to be better and worth it. I don't know if I trust anyone that much. Jesus is able to honor the Father because his identity in the Father is so secure. But what about us? I mean, Jesus was super son. He didn't do anything wrong. Isn't there a doubt that you carry in in you? Like, okay, the Father's that good for Jesus, but he was like super son, perfect golden child. I mean, come on. I know me. I've screwed up enough times. A, B, C, I can count them all. The Father certainly can't love me that much but he can. And that's exactly why I asked Ian to read from Luke 15, and that story of the prodigal son. The story, of course, describes this son who does not follow the fifth commandment. He, in fact, breaks it, like, famously, Uh, in a sense saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Uh, Give me my inheritance now. You are so lame. This family stinks. I'm out of here. I'm going to go live it up. I mean, he completely dishonors his father and leaves and in the story the son comes back after he reaches the end of his rope I love the line after he comes to himself and he realizes his sin and he comes humbly back with his tail between his legs not to ask back in the family that would be way too much he comes back to ask if he can just be like one of the slaves in his father's house at least he would have three square meals a day and a place to lay his head And the father in the story breaks all the rules of his day. By the rules of the day, the father of a family like that would be expected to take the son into the public square, humiliate him, beat him. This is expected not out of like some sense of revenge, but out of a sense of cultural society. It would be expected because the other fathers around in the village would want everyone there to know you don't treat fathers that way. And we're going to make a public spectacle of this. And it kept order in that type of culture that was much more interconnected than our individual culture is. But instead, this father breaks all the rules. He runs. Men didn't run. Elder men didn't run back then. He runs to his son. And he wraps him in his loving arms and he places the family ring on the son's finger, instantly indicating, no, 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 you're not going to be my servant, you're going to be my son. You're wearing the family signet ring. He clothes him and celebrates the return of his son. And of course, Jesus' point is he's saying to you, brothers and sisters, that's your father. That's how he is toward you. Through faith in Jesus, we're enveloped into the loving arms of the Father. Through Jesus, our sin is washed away. We're made new. We're part of the family. We have new life. So rejoice, you've been given new life in Jesus. No longer do we have to follow the commandments out of sheer willpower and obedience. Now we can be joyfully obedient, knowing that we're loved, and we can express that same grace toward our parents, toward our kids, toward the elders in our congregation, toward the people who are spiritual fathers and mothers to us. And as people watch and it catches on and we continue to point to the reason for all of this, it can be transformative. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so gracious to us, giving us this commandment giving us this commandment and watching us over generations and generations and generations fail. And rather than than judging us and calling it quits, you pursue us. And you did what it took to make this right and to build the bridge between yourself and us, you reconciled us through Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we are invited to run to your loving arms. And I pray from brothers and sisters who, uh, whatever state they're in right now, Lord, filled with conviction or filled with shame or filled with um, feelings of failure, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that they would also sense your embrace, and your words of affirmation, and your forgiveness. And Lord, let that lead us to different way of living. Let that grace that you extend us lead us to power for new life. Lord, give us wisdom, I pray, as these commandments are simple in theory and complicated in practice. We need you. We're desperate for you to make wise decisions and loving decisions in our life. Amen.